All right, welcome to The Grill Podcast. My name is John King, and I am the host of the agronomy segment of our podcast. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into tar spot, really trying to prepare and understand how to plan for this disease. Since we're going to be taking a hard look at this, we are, we're going to have Dan Bjorklund, our grill agronomist, and we're lucky today to have Megan Anderson from the Iowa State Extension here to help us guide through what the State Extension is seeing um, in regards to tar spot, as well as planning, prevention, and management throughout the state. Finally, Dan and I are going to finish out with our Landis recommendation on tar spot and how we see it in Central Iowa for uh, really managing this disease that's new to Central Iowa. Uh, look forward to talking to everybody here today. All right, Megan and Dan, welcome to the podcast. Uh, appreciate you guys coming to join us today. And Megan, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do for Iowa State Extension? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, I'm an extension field agronomist for Iowa State, serving nine counties in central Iowa. So uh, I do a lot of things yep. <laughs> uh, and wear many hats, but a, a lot of it is working really closely with our farmers and others in agriculture, like their uh, retailers or ag service providers, to help make the best decisions based on research-based information that we have available to us. Hopefully, you know, improving yields and improving management mm -hmm. and economics every year. My background is that I grew up on a farm in central Iowa, so I used to be in eastern Iowa for Iowa State, and I got to move back to central Iowa nice. a few years ago, so that was cool, and went to Iowa State, got a degree in agronomy and a master's in crop production physiology. My focus was weeds, okay. uh, but I dabble in all the pest management. Yeah, which is, I mean, agronomist. we're talking about tar spot today, weeds in central Iowa, just a whole other uh, uh, bad deal that we've had to deal with the last few years, but uh, we're really glad that you're here and appreciate all you do with the, with our farmer owners in central Iowa. And, uh, you know, that's it's funny, we've been, Dan, we've been hammering the tar spot thing pretty hard since uh, early summer, and, uh, you know, I think it's something that Clearly, we just got back from our grill rewards trip down south in Florida, and it's it's definitely something that our farmer owners are very um, interested in. We had our kind of breakout session for the learning group, and we maybe had one snippet on tar spot that we were talking about, and I bet it ended up morphing into the next 20 minutes of conversation. So, you know, I know a lot of the farmers that I talk to and deal with, it's, it's something that's front of mind to them um, every day. Well, Megan and I were talking uh, earlier before we... Uh, got started here um, about when you first see tar spot and I first saw it August 8th I'm like, forget that these little black spots on the leaves and there's like four of them and you think we know the history and what's happened in the east but you look at it you think that's not that big of a deal and then you come back the next week and all of a sudden it's flared up mm -hmm. um, and this was over in northeast Iowa by Hampton and um, the most interesting disease I've seen in the 40 years that I've been an, an agronomist. Yeah, no, for sure. Dang. Yeah, I know. That's that's saying a lot for Dan, ain't yeah. it? So, Megan, you're going to kind of run us through a little bit of the history of tar spots, give everybody kind of a baseline of how it started or where it came from, and a little bit of what you guys have, have looked at at Iowa State. So, kind of, kind of run us through of what the history of tar spot is from an infection standpoint here or disease standpoint here in, you know, really the Midwest. Yeah, so it was first identified in, I think, for sure Indiana and I think Illinois in 2015. And we really didn't know all that much about it except that it seems to come from kind of Central America, mm -hmm. from parts of Mexico, high corn-growing regions. 
Uh, and then in 2016 was when it was first found in Iowa. And a really good agronomist in eastern Iowa actually sent in some samples to our plant insect diagnostic clinic. And I was asked to go out and confirm it because it was such a new disease. Of course, they sent me out to go look for this disease that, like Dan said, it's like you're looking for tiny little pinprick black spots <laughs> on corn leaves. And, and we were able to find it really pretty easily once we figured out what we were looking for. But it's so easy to mistake it for something else. Right. And it just looks... It doesn't look all that serious when you first run into it. And, and since 2016, it has just uh, been identified further and further west. And so I think through uh, in 2019 was when I think we had every county in Iowa identified as having tar spot. And then it's now broached over into Nebraska. And of course, when it first gets started, it's uh, very low inoculum levels. But we know it's overwintering here. And so every right. year we continue to see it, we're going to keep likely seeing more of it in the future as long as the weather conditions are right. Well, and you think about it, you know, when you kind of kind of transit, transition into like what we saw this year, right? That Hampton area, you know, and for those that are listening, I mean, tar spot is really prevalent where you have moisture, right? So maybe not so much in southern Iowa this year because they lack moisture. Western Iowa maybe escaped some of it because of moisture, but where there was moisture, you more than likely had it. And you know, we really started finding it over by Hampton, Dye, Bradford, Buckeye, Green. Again, when you look at rainfall maps for the state, that was by far some of the better uh, areas that caught rain. And it was, I think, every field everywhere we went had it, and had it in a pretty big way. As you moved west, it kind of moved in a little bit later to that part of Farnamville area, over to Lake City. It started moving in maybe just about a week or two later, but again, um, and we'll put it in the show notes, so anybody listening, make sure you look at this. You know, I've got a, one of our vendors, one of our chemical providers, sent me this picture from Michigan, okay? And it's, a, it's an irrigated field. And the guy has tar spot on every portion of the field that the irrigation touches, except for the part where it doesn't. And, you know, what, what that is, is a really telling story of the reality of the disease, right? Because, you know... Most of the time you think of disease being bred, you know, in hot, dry, or maybe hotter, uh, humid environments. Really, this one can be, if you've got maybe the best opportunity to grow the best crop ever, it could be there more than you think because you've had the moisture. And I think that's what's really kind of scary and interesting about this disease at all in general is, you know, you could have perfect weather. Um, And we saw some instances over at Dyke where, you know, they really did. And again, we can kind of put that picture in the show notes as well as you can see right to the line where we sprayed. Um, there was a field we basically split down the center with fungicide. And the outsides didn't have it. And I mean, I think it was what, 35, 40 bushel differential. So it was pretty incredible. You know, you know I think it's really going to change a lot of mindsets on preventative side from a farmer standpoint of I've got to get out there and I've got to make sure that I have a plan for this. Whether it's, and I've had a lot of conversations with Growers that are talking about, well, I want to spray early at V10 and then wait on my VT R1 to see if I, you know, have some inoculation to make sure I get it then. You know, I mean, it's really kind of changing the conversations we're having from a disease management control uh, standpoint. Yeah, I think it, I mean, it is really interesting because this year throughout the state or a good portion of the state, except northeast Iowa, seemed to get all that kind of late season rainfall, yep. and then the rest of us got it a little bit later. But it it was even prevalent in areas where there was not all that moisture, all that much moisture. And so, 
that's what we think of rainfall, but mm -hmm. it's not just rainfall. It's it's do we have humidity? Mm -hmm. um, are there conditions that are going to be good for dew? Is there enough moisture in the environment even if it's not raining? Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I think is important that people be thinking about because when we typically see this disease come in, it's late. But if we are having those conditions happening earlier in the growing season, um, this year was the earliest we've ever identified it really? in Iowa. Right, June 29th, the really good agronomist spotted it in Marshall County. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and maybe it didn't spread really rapidly in that area because we were fairly dry and we didn't have great conditions for it to blow up, but it came in early, so that gives us a lot of potential, right? We kind of got to watch that field then uh, and be really anxious about it for the rest of the season. Well, I think it goes to show, too, I mean, if your neighbor has it, odds are you probably got it in some way, shape, or form too, right? Because, I mean, it's not, you know, one thing we've picked out this year, there's some genetic differences by hybrid to hybrid from a tolerance standpoint, no, no doubt. But even the most tolerant hybrids are still, they're still going to get it. And if you've got it in one field, the odds are you've got it in about everything that touches or is near that field as well. Yeah, so uh, Allison Robertson, our plant pathologist, would say that the you know, you may get it coming in from the residue in your field, but those spores are flying everywhere, yeah. right? And so that's one of the challenges, like we talk about the fungicide application timing, right? If we knew it was always coming up from the soil and we could protect those lower leaves on the plant with like a V10 application, and we knew that that was kind of going to block that disease pressure from really amping up in that upper part of the canopy that we need to protect, that would be awesome. But unfortunately, this is just... It's kind of everywhere in our environment, yeah. so we really have to make sure that we're keeping in mind protecting that upper part of the canopy, perhaps in some cases in addition to some of the lower leaves as well. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, again, from a time, a lot of it is timing because we've made, we found it and it was probably almost too late, but we still made applications late season on tar spot that I think made a huge difference from a yield standpoint up in that Latimer hat. Hampton, Bradford area, for sure. I mean, and they it was pretty thick through there, wasn't it, Dan? Well, I think it was also interesting, uh, Megan, with the comment about the lower canopy versus the upper canopy. Uh, that field, John, that you mentioned over by Dyke that had the outside uh, area, it's not sprayed, it was sprayed down in the middle. When I saw the NDVI image of what that looked like, I talked to our colleague and said, I want to, I want to look at this field. So we went up and we went right on the split, and it was fascinating because where we used the fungicide, when you when you panned down below and went up, you could still see the tar spot up until about the air leaf, and the the above the air leaf was was clean. Then we moved over to where everything was brown, and it was it it was everywhere, and that was um, about that second week of August. That, that we made that visual observation. And it was interesting to go back later on because when you went back later on in September, then it was everywhere. Yep. But it was a whole idea of getting past black layer. Yep. So just a very, very interesting disease the way it progresses. Yeah, and I think, you know, one thing that, you know, I think I want to talk a little bit more about too is how does the infect, you know, when you do get a crop that's infected, you know, what from you guys are seeing, how much time do you have to make a treatment to save yield? You know, what are some of the studies that you're seeing? That's something actually that, you know, we're going to look at at Farmville this year 
is we're going to look at timing and we're going to look at um, different products from the standpoint because we're going to have we had uh, tar spot inoculation there at Farmville this year so we're going to try to recreate it and get some plot data off of we've sprayed this product at this time and this is the result kind of from a cost management standpoint for the farmers so what are you guys seeing at Iowa State from the timing thing because I think that's the one thing that I you know when I talk to people that's the first thing on their mind is timing. Yeah, so I wish that Iowa State, well, right, I wish that Iowa State could get rid of the data on this, and then it's also a good thing that we can't because it means that yeah, our, our disease levels are not high enough yeah. in Iowa to get really good yield comparisons from a treated versus untreated. We just don't have enough of the tar spot where mm -hmm. most of our research farms are. Um, in eastern Iowa, out in Muscatine, they were actually able to do some of that this year, and they had high enough disease levels that they got some really beautiful differences in treatments. And so they were looking at basically like untreated versus a single application timing versus multiple application timing. And I can't remember the exact timings, but they had like a, a V6, VT, V6 alone, VT alone. They had like V10 or V12, and then an R3 and they paired those versus alone. And, and what was really cool is that at least this year, in that field, they found that, that those early applications didn't make a difference as far as reducing the amount of tar spot that was out there on the leaves and having any effect on yield. So they were able to get by with just that single, mm -hmm. you know, our typical fungicide application timing, which, I mean, that would be the ideal situation if we could kind of go out in one fell swoop and we can get reasonable control of tar spot, we can manage our gray leaf spot in order to leaf light and sort of take care of them all with a single application. That may not always be the case. So far that appears to be working pretty well, but of course as weather conditions change every year, our, the amount of pressure that we have out there changes, and so we always need to be out monitoring for it. So there's actually a really great app um, that's available that can help with knowing when to scout for tar spotter. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, so it's called Tar Spotter, and I think it's going nice. to be its fourth iteration coming this spring. And so basically, they've been sort of running it on this trial basis and comparing it to things like the research data and the research plots that are out in the Eastern Corn Belt and elsewhere, and trying to sort of cue in on what these conditions are when tar spot's going to be worse. Kind of like an alert notification type scenario. Yeah, exactly, right? So you go and you put your fields in and it asks you some information about kind of what stage the corn's at, right? What time of year it is, right? And it's basically using real-time weather data um, to give you a risk Assessment, analysis. Yeah. yeah. And so um, that's not like a spray-don't-spray spray kind of thing in my mind. It's a, oh, I'm high risk for tar spot. I need to go out and look. Mm -hmm. And so those are the things that can really help us maybe hone in on the most appropriate timing because, like you guys have noticed, it blows up in no time. And I think, don't quote me, right? I'm pretty sure Allison said that they've, they've noticed it's about 20 days from the time basically those spores land on the leaves to when you'll actually see the black spots mm -hmm. on the leaves, right? So we've got a pretty long lead time between when that infection starts and when we are actually going to notice it. Okay. And it takes fairly low levels to cause yield loss in corn, as you guys have noticed, yeah. right, with your, with your uh, fungicide applications. Well, I think that's important to know, too. So if you've got that 20-day window, you know, something like technology that we're seeing either from Tyrannus or from this tar spotter, which is this is news to us, 
you know, if you can, the more education or the more information you can get from a prevention standpoint, again, when we look at it, it's all about preventive control from our speech It's how do you make sure that your timing's correct? How do you make sure, you know, a lot of what our recommendations this year, you know, we are kind of talking about it before is, you know, pairing up your premium fungicide with some more straight mode 11, you know, maybe it's a generic, maybe it's something cheaper that's cost effective, but to give you more residual control out there in that acre to, to prevent it as long as possible. Because at some point, if you've got it, it's going to, it's going to get it at some point, but it's all about how can I get that crop as healthy as possible to the end of the season. Yeah. The goal with the fungicide is not really ever to stop a disease completely in its tracks, right? Mm -hmm. The idea is, is that there's a pretty well-known disease development curve right, that it starts slow and builds very, very quickly until it plateaus out when it basically reaches the capacity of what the, the plant can carry, right, so mm -hmm. essentially you kill the plant off. And so the idea is that curve is basically going to remain the same no matter what, but what you want to do is you want to push back. You want to flatten so you, that curve. You flatten that curve out so you get more time where those leaves are actually going to be protected and maybe it is going to blow up but hopefully it's going to do it like after R4 or R5 when it's not going to affect yield or at least it's much less likely to after R4. You know, and Dan, I think this kind of parlays very nicely into what we've done a lot of work on from a hybrid standpoint. Um, again, when you think about, you know, you could always call it the plant factory, right? Keeping that, that healthy plant factory. I think that's something that we're going to continue to look at as well at Landis is from a hybrid, high hybrid specific idea of how are the hybrids from, you know, and, and when we look at our corn hybrids that we're providing to our member owners, you know, we're very fortunate. We have both the Corteva platform and we have the Cal platform. So we have two of the better germplasms in the entire world to really go out there and place hybrids and really get to understand which ones perform differently. And we saw different performance this year. There's no doubt about it. There, every hybrid is not created equally from the disease package. And I think that's something, you know, as a farmer, if you want to understand how to maintain yield and have the best plan, it probably starts with that hybrid selection. And then, you know, kind of moves on to what's my preventative and curative fungicide management. So what what's some comments? And I know we're going to put some videos about this in the show notes. What's some of your comments looking at disease platforms at the hybrid standpoint? Well, when we first saw the tar spot over Northeast Iowa, um, we had a plot with uh, every single hybrid that we have available uh, to the farmer customers in that plot. And what I liked is that we did it by maturity, so we did it every other one yep. was, was either Corteva or Bear. Every other one from, in some of these plots, from 97 day all the way to 114 day, fascinating to see uh, those differences. And so what we did was that we went to these locations and we took video of every single one. So it takes a long time to do that. But we walked down and um, and some, um, it was really hard to spot initially. In others, it was pretty evident yep. uh, uh, right away. And so we went back on a weekly basis from the 1st of August all the way really through uh, the middle part of September so that you, uh, you, you could uh, judge that. And then when the yield data came, uh, from those plots and we were able to go back and look at the video to see what things look like to see if there was some kind of correlation and and there was there were some hybrids that were hit really hard 
really, really heavy, and they have pretty, you know, big uh, yield drop-offs. There were other hybrids that just were healthier, and they still they still got a tart spot, but it was like what Megan said, you know, moving that that curve out, that plant health seems uh, seemed to help. So I I really believe, John, we have a really good handle on the tolerance level uh, of some of these hybrids. And that doesn't mean that I'm going to completely not plant my favorite hybrid if it's not as, you know, tar, a tar spot because we have some other management tools. But I do think it means that diversity is really important. And as an agronomist for all these years and being involved with seed, I've it just seems like I've always been on my soapbox saying diversity, diversity, diversity. In the same way that my financial advisor tells me, <laughs> Dan, you need to not always go this direction or that direction when what you're looking at for financial returns. We know that's true. We know that in the long run that that works out. Now we actually have some video evidence to show that. And I think you're going to actually even tie some of those in uh, to this podcast yep. so people can visually see that. Yep. But you get a drone up above these fields and you see these differences in how the plants are senescing at, towards the middle to the end of August, and we know that they shouldn't be, they should still be filling um, uh, those ears. Um, it's very good observational data, is, yep. is what I call it, to go along with uh, what you follow up uh, later on. Now, I think, I mean, what's your guys' opinion from Iowa State? I mean, is there a little bit of, from a genetic standpoint at the hybrid level, is that some of what you're looking at as well? It's, I mean, genetics are always kind of our first line of defense against any disease, right? I think the challenge is, is that tar spot, for probably two-thirds of the state anyway, is just one of many diseases that you may be dealing with in the coming growing season, right? Eastern Iowa, particularly those sort of maybe three to four counties in from the eastern side of the state, right? It, it's probably a target pathogen that they're going to be seeing. They've got heavy inoculum loads. Uh, they typically get more rainfall than we do, or at least Northeast Iowa seems to get all my rainfall. Um, <laughs> I don't know. And so it's probably like one target thing that, that as these companies are getting so much better about knowing the background of their hybrids and knowing um, sort of how to compare rating-wise as far as their tolerance goes, it's probably going to be a key thing. But maybe for somebody in Western Iowa, it's just it's just one of many things that they're going to be looking for, and that's where that, that diversity really comes in that, that, you know, not every hybrid has to be the best against tar spot, but you certainly want to know it ahead of time, right? right? Like if, if you have a hybrid that's your favorite hybrid, but it's weak against tar spot, I mean, that's totally fine, right? You just need to be aware of that so that you can be prepared to make those decisions that go along with that the following growing season. Yeah, I think that's, I, I, I totally agree with everything you said. I think it is really important. I think that's the value that we're trying to bring through our learning groups, um, or even just doing business with us in general at Landis, whether you're buying chemicals or you're buying seed from us. You know, we're not, when I look at the seed business, there's plenty of companies out there that have great products. You know, Pioneer, Channel, you know, there's plenty, you know, Vermont, Decal, what we support, they all have pretty good products. The seed for us on the, on the sales side is the most emotional sale that we have to make every time, every year. Our goal a lot of times is we want to just want to make sure that we're providing them goods and services that are going to work. So. They really like their pioneer hybrids. It's fine. You know, we're more than willing to make sure that we're providing the correct fungicide package for that hybrid. But you know, I think that's why it's it's really important to have a strong relationship with you know companies like us that are 
we're pretty dedicated to understanding this, you know, providing a lot of good information to help really look at how to prevent it or you know, make it less impact for sure. I mean, when you look at this year, what are the three things that you would say, maybe two, two or three things, as a farmer, when I'm getting ready to, you know, it's, it's prepay time today for these guys. A lot of them are making full farm solutions today. You know, what are the few things that they really need to be paying attention to in the plant? Is it product selection? Is it um, service provider from the standpoint, am I doing aerial versus high clearance? You know, what are some things that you guys look at from a tar spot prevention standpoint or some of the key factors? Obviously, it always feels like it goes back to products, but maybe there's a couple other ones. Well, I think probably the most important thing is having a good scout and okay. support system out there, right? So whether it's somebody who's checking your fields, whether you're the one checking your fields, or at least having a super good relationship with whoever your service provider is to help with that decision making, right? So not every farmer is going to get super jazzed about going out and looking at the right. corn and trying to decide whether to apply a fungicide, but hopefully you have someone who can help with that if you don't, right? Um, so I think that's huge. Certainly product selection is going to be really important, especially if tar spot is an issue in fields next growing season, right? Um, we know that newer products have those longer residuals. They have the ability to stave off this tar spot uh, for a longer period of time. And they're going to work against the whole other spectrum right. of foliar diseases that we may be dealing with, like the you know southern rust that we occasionally see come yep. in, right? Northern foot leaf, white gray leaf spot, whatever it may be, right? So you want something that's going to have that good residual on it to really provide you that protection. No, I think that's key, and you know I think that's why we're we've been pretty passionate about it for the last year, really trying to understand, you know, and, and, and it kind of gets back to the the product selection standpoint, it's not like these products are super easy to get a hold of right now. I mean, as being uh, the input or the procurement provider to the company, you know, I get a question every day on Valtima. Can we get enough Valtima? Guess what? No, we can't. It's not that readily available. Can we get enough Trimacro? Can we get enough Miramis? It's not that available. So when I look at it from, again, being prepaid timing, you know, I look at what we have at least on order from bought from suppliers for, I'm gonna call it more, for more premium fungicides. Year over year, we definitely ramped up and are trying to buy more, but it doesn't mean that we've got a shipment so far. Until you take physical delivery of it, you know, it is what it is. So I mean, I think that's another thing is when I look at it, those products are not as readily available for the market when the market wants to change that way. And we continue to see more of a change every year of people trying to push down that premium product line. And, you know, last year when you saw a lot of the more basic generic products become very tight, everybody just ran right to the premium fungicides. You know, we had very good crop prices. The overall chemical prices weren't anything outrageous for, you know, paying $18 an acre for a Triber Pro or Miris Neo wasn't a big deal last year or Delero Complete. You know, in general, those products aren't up 30%, they're up maybe 5% year over year. So it's not like we've seen drastic changes, but obviously from what we're seeing in the market, there's drastic changes in your yield if you are not prepared for it. You know, that's the one thing I think even early on from October or September when we started having some conversations with bigger customers that we deal with about overall chemical supply for the year. It really wasn't so much worried about, yeah, I know glyphosate's come down and that's fine, but like, can you get me 
400 gallons of LT. It's like my allocation last year was 400 gallons, period. You know, I mean, I think that's the tough thing going forward is how do we, how do we continue to, you know, when you guys look at Iowa State as the premium products are providing the best bang for your buck, but we can't get them. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's a challenge that we're all facing with, you know, every, it seems like every yeah. product market, right? Everything is tight and kind of if you're not first, you're last sort of thing, right? Yeah. But, um, Ricky Bobby and LG there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I think I think there's several things to keep in mind, right? That most of us are still in this kind of building an oculum level. So, from a premium product standpoint, right, if everybody's going for that, I think the priority should be in those areas where we know we have had really high spot right. levels in the past, right? Um, or in those areas like if, if you talk with whoever's providing your seed as a farmer, and they're like, this hybrid does not perform as well as our other hybrids <laughs> against tar spot, you know, trying to save as nicely as possible, right? Maybe those are the areas where we need to focus those premium products. But but if you've had very low tar spot levels, you know, if somebody's listening and they, they've never identified it in their fields, they didn't see it at harvest time, right? Because those black spots show up right. so well yep. on those corn leaves when they're dead, right? Maybe that's where we look more toward Perhaps from a protection standpoint, you add a little bit of protection, but you don't need to like put the heavy hammer down mm -hmm. on it at this point, right? Well, but I, it's all scouting ahead yeah. of time and, and being aware of that. Well, and I think it's going to maybe even play a little bit into the same standpoint of seed supply. Uh, you know, I, well, some of Ravon's hybrids are, uh, was it 06Y, did really well for us last year, and I think they cowed. Um, 111, 33, uh, SmartSack Pro from a tar spot standpoint, those two were really good overall fundamentally healthy plants. You know, I can already tell just from looking at seed bookings, those are some of the primary varieties that are getting booked. And I think that kind of plays in line, you know, if that's what you want, you may not be able to get all of it you want because of that standpoint. I think... I think uh, some of the 112 and 109 day Pioneer stuff is gonna be pretty hot this year and that's probably gonna get pretty tight as well. So, you know, when I look at everything and, and my biggest message to the team is, is, has been this year is really plan for that application. If you need a, sec a second application, that's probably where you're gonna be using your more cost effective ones, maybe early in the season, build some residual, get yourself to the VTR1 type timeframe for your premium uh, products but the premium products need to be part of your game plan from day one. Because that's the only way for us, if we have 100,000 acres walk through the door, uh, you know, at VTR1, that's not gonna be a fun conversation. Yeah. We, we will not have that supply. Yeah, that surprise isn't gonna go over very No, they are gonna be stuck with whatever we can get our hands on because that's that's what the, that's all we'll be able to get at that point. Because, you know, a lot of it from a supply standpoint is, if you want the premium products, you better have a bulk tank. Because that's the only way that you're guaranteed, you know, because you think about the supply chain at home, putting stuff in two and a half gallon jugs, putting stuff in totes is an expensive game for them to do. They don't have the labor to do it. The repack companies don't have the labor to do it. For us, if we have it in bulk, I guarantee you we're going to get it in a tote or something to get it on farm. But, you know, it's also a costly game for us to make sure we're planning on tank supplies, where it's going, who's going to repack it. Do we, I mean, totes today are $275 for a brand new tote. You know, it's a buck a gallon for a tote. So it's just a lot of inherent extra cost to make sure that we're getting this stuff to market. It's, I think it's something that, again, with it being prepaid timing, if I'm a farmer, 
that's the first thing I'm making sure that I understand what my plan is there going forward for next year. Because, you know, it was here last year. Someday it's going to rain consistently throughout the year all across Iowa, and it's going to become a bigger deal. Well, John, what's really interesting is I just remember not that long ago that we had the big outbreak with Northern Corn Leaf Light. Yep. And it was uh, in those years of 16, 17, and 18 where it did rain. Yep. And now 2021 and 22, it didn't. It's going to happen uh, in one of these years. And I almost make this prediction, and you know, you can make anything you want after you've been around for 47 years. <laughs> um, uh, we're going to get caught uh, yeah. sometime in the next few years, and there won't be uh, enough product. Yeah, spread because those people will come in those hundred thousand acres you talk about, and there won't be product. Well, and I think the biggest thing for everybody to understand it's not always necessarily the base AI that is the problem with supply. It's everything else that goes in the jug to make it formulated correctly. And when I'm talking to suppliers, that's the biggest holdup is there's a lot of the inner ingredients that are going for either come from China or come from somewhere else. And when you have lockdowns in China, then you can't. You know, maybe you're making the AI here in North America, but you can't get the other stuff that goes in the jug. I want to say Acron GT has 128 different ingredients to get it to be the final produced product. Okay, it's not just dual uh, touchdown, Callisto, and bicycle primer. It's not like you're just mixing four of those. It's 120 different uh, variations of products that you have to implement into that jug to get it the final product. So, you know, I think those are things that, again, you know, we talk a lot about on the fertilizer side, but the chemical side is just as big of understanding who we, what you're going to be, what your plan is, and getting on it, especially early this year. I would say prices are at a point where they're pretty comfortable. We don't have the big life say or, or liberty shortage that we had last year, but we're probably going to deal with shortages on our more premium products in order for plant health. So, Megan, greatly appreciate you joining us here today. You've been a wealth of information, and we, we really appreciate the partnership here with Landis, and we'll look forward to having you here on, uh, on the podcast again. Thanks for having me. Awesome. All right, now for our product of the month segment, I got we got me and Dan here, and we're going to talk a little bit about our what we consider our primary recommendation on Tar Spot. You know, when we look at it, and it was really nice having Megan on here for that portion of the conversation, and we're going to try to get that data that she was talking about on uh, application timing windows and, you know, overall yield differentials and whatnot, but clearly a lot of the studies continue to come back at that VT or R1 application are your biggest bang for your right. buck. You know, this is what I would say our number one recommendation is today. We do recommend the bare minimum rate of what a recommendation would be from a Mervis Neo, a Tribopro, a Delero Complete, a Valtima. But the other thing that we're looking at is adding three to four ounces of a straight mode 11 along with that. So that would be like an Azoxy Star, which is a straight Azoxystrobin. Azoxystrobin has been around for a long time. It's been a little Quadris product. It's in Quilt Excel. If you look at the labels for Mervis and Tribopro, believe it or not, the mode 11 in Mervis and Tribopro is azoxystrobin. So all you're doing is increasing the mode 11 reaction that's already in that same mix. You know, when we looked at it, and Dan, you and I have looked at some different numbers, um, I've crunched the numbers on trying to figure out exactly how many, you know, pounds of AI you're getting per acre. And when, you, when you're when you adding that three to four ounces of straight azoxy, it's really like running 
14 ounces of quilt Excel. So that's really our primary recommendation. Dan, what I want to talk a little bit about is if the need is for two applications, my head goes toward can you get by maybe earlier with something that's a little bit more cost effective like a generic quilt or like an approach primo or a straight Dolero or a branded quilt Excel? Well, yeah, I, I think um, you, you can. And I think what is interesting about the Group 11 piece that you talked about was all the research that's been conducted from 15, 16, 17 uh, by the University Consortium that went and looked at, at these products found that when you got that percentage of Group 11 of that total mix up to 14%, yep. that seems to be uh, the number. So I, I think what we're talking about, you know, there's so many pieces to this puzzle. You get the inoculant in the plant and then it's 20 days later that you actually see it. So you get that 20-day window. I don't know of any other disease that acts like that. Yeah, that's when crazy. we had northern corn leaf blight, which we mentioned, you know, a few years ago, yeah, which we saw quite a bit last year too. Well, once you saw the the, the lesions, you sprayed. Yeah, but you didn't have this seem like this latency period uh, to the same level as you as you do with tar spots. So I want to get that group eleven in early and as high concentration as we can to keep to get us that. Uh, that preventative and to, to move that curve that we were talking yep. about uh, along uh, to help us. You know, and I think some of the reason, again, why, why I keep bringing up this idea of adding just a straight mode 11, just from a financial standpoint, you know, for those listening, when I think about it, you know, uh, base rate on Delero Complete is going to be about eight ounces per acre, okay? So that's going to run you, I want to say, somewhere around 17, 18, 19 bucks, 20 bucks an acre, somewhere called 17 and 20 dollars an acre. Can't remember off the top of my head. To go from eight ounces to twelve ounces, you're talking to almost a thirty dollar program versus if I'm at eighteen dollars an acre cost on a Delero Complete, now I'm at twenty one. You know, you're really not. You're getting the same amount of AI. I mean, when you when you pull the label, you crunch the numbers, and you do the rate, you're getting the same amount of AI at first at um, eight ounces of Delero Complete and three to four ounces of Zoxy as you would if you're running 12 ounces of uh, straight Dolero complete. So, I mean, a lot of what we're looking at is, you know, from our due diligence is we're trying to find the most cost-effective way to manage the disease. Not everybody can go out there and spend 30-some dollars on a premium fungicide, plus you got 15 or $20 of, you know, labor or application into it, you know, it gets, would be pretty costly. So that's a lot of what we're looking at. And along with that, you know, what I'm excited about is what we're going to do at, at Farmville and the trials of really timing and products. So, you know, for those listening, I literally approved the invoice today. We, ate, we were able to get ourselves uh, here at Land as part of a lot of the research and development that we're going to do from our own foliar products as well as looking at different stuff like this. we got two um, DJI drones coming that we can do a lot of specialized strip trials. So if anybody listening to the podcast has, you know, an 80 or 40 that in the past was getting flown with an airplane and, you know, believe it or not, the guys flying the planes are really not that excited about doing strip trials for fungicide. You know, we can come kind of come out now and do some real live trials on your ground where we're saying, hey, we can split 10 acres here with Valtima and 10 acres here with Delero Complete and give you guys some real life ideas of what that performance is going to do. Well, 
the Farmville uh, research location and, and, and using those acres has been phenomenal. Oh, you know, ever since uh, Lana started doing that, Dave Lemke, you really appreciate what he's done there. Um, that is a proof of concept. And to take it from the proof of concept now to field level, this is a whole different level, a whole different game. And it's a, it's a part of what you were mentioning earlier about what we're doing with learning groups and trying to get that specialized information and find those those agronomic nuggets uh, of information. You've had Brad Sherwin on uh, before, and he told me today he's finished all the analysis. It's fascinating what we learned. The, the latest one was, and I'll just throw this out as a teaser for people to come to meetings later on, is what is the best ROI soybean population? It might surprise you what that is. And when we make that recommendation, it, we're going to prove to you that we're not just here to sell you seed or sell you unnecessary amounts of seed. We're going to give you the recommendation that works for your farm. And it'll be the same thing uh, that, that you've been explaining here with the fungicide and coming with that with the group uh, 11. Especially, John, when you just mentioned that Driver Pro. It's the same group 11 yeah. that's already in it. I mean, that's, again, and that's to me what's ground truthing the idea, right? You know, so you could either run maximum rate of Driver Pro to get the same amount of AI, but at the end of the day, you're adding the same product in there that's already in there. It's not like it's um, a non-proven product, right? It's been around for a while. You know, and a lot of what the chemical companies are doing, and again, they're doing good things, they're taking existing products that have worked, and they're adding new components that are making them, again, a premium product. However, with post-patent, you know, a lot of the products that have been working for a long time are coming down and are available to us that we can then repurpose in different ways that, you know, from a cost standpoint, you couldn't do before. So that's what excites me. And again, that's what I, you know, I think it's important. Again, we have the learning group opportunity. It's on our website. We'll put the link in our show notes. Um, that's a great way for everybody to be involved, get information on what we're doing, what we're looking at, you know, and as we're bringing new products to market, either from us or suppliers, you know, th th those are, that's a good opportunity for you to be a part of that group, and get opportunities to see that. So, um, with that, I want to thank everybody and, uh, for listening to us, and I hope everybody has uh, a Merry Christmas and a very Happy New Year.